Good morning to you. Welcome. It's always good to be back in Lake Mary. I always enjoy coming here. And uh, uh, I just have always enjoyed the, the beauty of this area of, of uh, Orlando. I, I, I was reminded we, we came to Orlando, to Florida, to move to Florida in 1992. We moved from Massachusetts and uh, we, I was assigned, uh, my uh, ministry I was with, uh, we had an assignment that was, uh, brought us here. So we drove here in July, this month, in 1992. Uh, July is not the, the most attractive month in, uh, in Florida, but I loved this state ever since I drove into it. I just, I've always, I just fell in love with Florida. It's just a beautiful, beautiful place. And uh, we settled in. Uh, a lot of new things for us. We, we, we uh, bought a new home. We, we bought a home that uh, we got to see uh, being built. We lived in an apartment for a while, my wife, my two children, myself, and, until we moved into our home, lived in East Orlando, and uh, I, I became fascinated not just with Florida, but with homes. Homes are really interesting, and there's always building in this state. And uh, I don't know, I think it was the next year we were here, a friend of ours told us about a... Uh, a display of homes that they did every year. I don't. I think it was in the spring or early spring, maybe, and it's called the Street of Dreams. I don't know. They still do the Street of Dreams. I'm not sure if they do, but uh, Street of Dreams are are um, four or five model homes built side by side, not purchased yet, and and uh, you can go and you pay a price and you go see the, these these new homes. And and the great thing about it is they furnish them. They go in and they they design them, they decorate them just so, and uh, we. We came up, the Street of Dreams that year was in Aliqua, and uh, there were five homes there, and, and we parked in a parking lot, and they golf carted us up to these some beautiful homes, much bigger than the one I had built, uh, beautiful homes. And uh, we went in one at a time. You'd walk in, you'd just see all the beautiful furnishings, all the wall hangings. You'd go in the kitchen, and they'd have all the pots and pans and dishes. Everything was was great. And, and uh, the, the, this, this Street of Dreams, I, I asked... Uh, how how uh, much these homes cost somewhere along the line, and uh, it became the street of impossible dreams as I continued. Uh, they were just great, and then then as I went from home to home, and it dawned on me how expensive these homes were. Then it was the street of mortgage nightmares after a while. So I remember about the fourth home, we were just ooing and I remember walking into this. <laughs> this closet in a master bedroom, off the master bedroom that was bigger than our master bedroom. And I went, wow, this is something. And I thought, that just sort of settled on me. You know, it was really nice to see these homes, but it was really sort of weird after a while because all these beautifully furnished homes, no one's there. No one's living there. I know they wanted to sell them. I know they wanted people to be there, but it's just sort of weird to be in a place of such beauty and have no life there. It's easier to sell a house when it has the illusion of someone living there, I realize, but it was weird when no one was there. There's a text in 2 Timothy as I was preparing this, this uh, to study this parable. Uh, Paul's writing to this young pastor, Timothy, uh, who's ministering in Ephesus. And, and uh, chapter 3, he says, but mark this. Now remember, these are the last words that, that Paul is giving Timothy that we know of. It's probably the last letter that he wrote before his death. Mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, 
without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then he concludes with this thought. I, I've always found this fascinating, having a form of godliness, a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with such men. I've always been struck by that, that having a form of godliness, but denying its power. <clears throat> we've, we've had a gospel reading and, and we've, we've spent all of this year on the life of Jesus. We've been in the gospels. And if you've followed the reading, you know that Jesus, many of his interactions were with the most religious, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the, the men who were, were coming to him and trying to test him and trying to figure out how he fit into their plans and, and would he really support them. And there was, there was uh, contention, there, there was strife between the, the Pharisees and Jesus. And the hierarchy of Judaism revolved around the leaders of their faith. And they lived their lives codified and controlled. They had rules. And they kept and abided by those rules. And they benefited as well. Now, these men just weren't just, they weren't just religious, they were wealthy. Uh, Luke, Luke 16, 14 uh, says, The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. These were, these were wealthy men. So there was, there was this battle that was going on. Jesus speaking against and, and the most ardent of his opponents, the religious people of that day. So, here Jesus in his three-year ministry saved his strongest criticisms for the most religious. He called them whitewashed tombs. He called them uh, all sorts of, 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 of uh, things that would, would get their attention and, and many times raise their anger. And in this context, I want us to look at the, a very curious parable, one that uh, I've read over several times and, and uh, thought, well, that's an interesting thought, and then just sort of passed along. Uh, it's, it's, it's a little bit of an obscure parable. It's not talked about much. As, as John uh, said, we're, we're spending some time on parables that, that we don't really spend tons of time on in terms of preaching. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. And I want us to uh, read, read a passage uh, starting with verse 38. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. They're speaking, of course, to Jesus. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. Verse 42, the queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. Now here's this little short little parable that Jesus gives. Verse 43, when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places, seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. 
And then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits, more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. This is God's word. Okay, so the setting. Pharisees, they come to Jesus. And they are they're asking him uh, to show them a sign. Now, the context of that is interesting because uh, as you look earlier in this chapter, Jesus has healed a man with a withered arm that they get really upset about because it was on the Sabbath. They didn't like that. And then further on, Jesus uh, heals a man who is blind and mute and uh, completely heals him. But they still want a sign. And, the, and they're, they're quarreling among themselves, uh, quarreling with Jesus in terms of where this power comes from. We, we want to see a sign from you. If you're like me, and uh, perhaps you are, you, you roll your eyes and silently and sometimes even verbally criticize religious people who are hypocrites. I don't like hypocrites. Um, I don't like people who profess something and don't live it out. And I often play the never-ending game of comparisons. Do you play that game? I play that a lot. I don't let people know that I am, but I, I sort of like playing it. Uh, I compare myself to other people. Jesus gave uh, the parable about the Pharisee and the tax gatherer who went up to the temple, one of the more well-known parables. And uh, the Pharisee is praying, God, thank you that I'm not like this sinner over here. Thank you that you made me the way I am. And, of course, the tax gatherer, Praise God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And, and Jesus, of course, says, which man will, will be justified? It's the one who repents. And I read that parable and I go, thank God I'm not like that Pharisee, right? Huh? I don't like hypocrites. So as I was preparing this sermon on this passage, I came to a place where I had to go beyond that narrow focus. Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, the application is there. He's, he's communicating to them, hey, you, you all, there's no substance to, to, to your spiritual life. And I want us to widen that application. I, I, first of all, widen it for myself and hopefully widen it for you too. What, what is it that we can learn from this passage? So here, Jesus, first of all, they want to sign. Jesus says, there, there, there are two people I want you to consider, Jonah and Solomon. Jonah went to Nineveh, a Gentile city, and they repented. And he's saying, and, and, and the people of Nineveh will rise up in judgment and condemn you because they repented. And he says, one greater than Jonah is here, referring to himself. Queen of the South, Queen of Sheba, the Old Testament, comes to Solomon and wants to hear his wisdom. And Jesus says there's one wiser than Solomon here. And he refers to himself. So there's, there's this, you want a sign? It's standing right before you. But, but let, me, let me tell you a parable just to sort of uh, bring the focus to where it needs to be. He says, when, in verse, verse 43, when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. So the first First little step here in this parable is one of eviction. There's an eviction. An impure per, uh, spirit leaves this person. <clears throat> Zach Van Dyke, a few weeks ago at Herndon, he was preaching and he began a sermon this way. I, I don't know if he gave the same sermon here or not, but it was, it was a really good question. What brought you to church today? Why are you here? What brought you here? 
Is it tradition? Is it habit? Was it spiritual desire? Did someone make you come? Did someone guilt you into it? Is it something that you thought, well, I don't have anything better? Whatever it is, what, what brought you to church? I was, I was thinking that as, as he began that. But one thing I think is pretty certain, I don't think any of you came here with a goal of leaving worse off than when you came, right? No one comes with, yeah, I'd, I'd sort of like to feel a little more down than when I came. No, you don't come with that goal. We come to church, I think, for many reasons. I know I do. I want to worship. I want to fellowship. I want to learn. I want to be encouraged. I want to be challenged. In almost five decades of ministry and counseling, I found that most people come to a point in their lives where they really genuinely want to be better. And many of us continually do that throughout our lives. And I think that's a good thing. They want to be better than they actually are. They'll say things, I need to stop drinking. I need to stop looking at pornography. I need to stop with my anger. I need to stop lying. I need to stop cheating. I need to stop stealing. I need to stop my adultery. I need to stop having sex with my boyfriend, my girlfriend. I need, I hear this a lot, I need to clean up my act. I need to clean up my act. Let's get those impure spirits out of here. When I preached here last, I asked um, how many of you, how you were doing on your New Year's uh, resolutions, and not too many people had New Year's resolutions, and and just a few did. And and I talked about the things that we try to do uh, to to improve ourselves. New Year's resolutions are sort of a, a symbol of that. And every year, I really do try to say, New Year, okay, what, what, what's this going to be like? And I told you that uh, back in the early 2000s, one, one of my New Year's resolutions would be in better physical shape and finding a trainer and all that. Well, that hit me again about three years ago. New Year's came, and I said, you know, I've got to do it. I just want to be in better shape. I just want to, I want to have more energy. I, I need to give more attention to uh, my, my physical being. So I went and I joined the YMCA. How about that, huh? I joined the Y. And I went in and uh, they had this, this special on that, that uh, you, you had a little bit discount if you signed up in January. I came right at the end of January that year, sat down with this young man and, and uh, he told me the, the plan, he got me all excited. And it was really great because he said to me, oh, and sir, he says, I don't, you don't look it, but would you happen to be over 60? He, he had me. You know, I was I was ready to sign up. Um, I said, "Well, yes, I am." I told him, "I go, oh, sir, you look so good." That's I'm really surprised. He was a good salesman, so I signed. I also included my wife because why why not bless someone else with this? And and so she was excited about that. Um, and so I began to to uh, to go to the Y for workouts, and I, uh, I I I enjoyed it sort of. But I was trying to cast out this, this spirit of, you know, sloth in my life. St. Bernard of Clairvaux says, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I love that statement. Good intentions. I've yet to ask someone, how's your spiritual life, and have them answer, it's perfect. I'm walking in perfect harmony with God, have no need for change. 
I, I, I don't think any of us would say that because we know ourselves too well. We know the Lord too well. It's more like, well, it's, it's good or maybe it's not so good. But I always hear this. There's always room for improvement, right? There's always room for improvement. And if you're like me, you're always dealing with, with impure spirits. Things that tug us away from that relationship with Christ. So there's an eviction. This impure spirit comes out of this person, goes into arid places, seeking rest, doesn't find it. Then what happens? Well, then there's an emptiness there. Then it says, I'll return to the house I left. And when it arrives, interesting, it finds the house unoccupied, but not just unoccupied. I love how Jesus says this. It's swept clean and put in order. It looks so good. So I started at the Y, and I scheduled workout times. Isn't that the way you, you, you discipline yourself? And put it in your schedule. That it'll get done, right? If you put it in your schedule, and I put it in my schedule. I didn't make every workout time that I put in my schedule, but it was a reminder. And I started. I I, I did things that would encourage me along the way. I bought a gym bag, a brand new gym bag. That'll do it, right? I got a lock for my locker. And those dial locks, it looked just like my high school locker, my high school locker. I'm telling you, it was really cool. Three numbers. I had to put it in my phone because I couldn't remember the numbers. But I, I had the lock. And I put my clothes in, my gym clothes. I'd go and I'd work out. And I would go and, and I learned how to do their tre treadmills. They're really interesting, aren't they? Treadmills. Is there anything sadder than a treadmill, really, when you think about it? You're just walking and going nowhere. Just don't go anywhere. And they put screens there. And, and mine, mine had this little track. And they just, okay, where am I on the track? Okay, I'm going to walk two miles. It's just like, okay, I'm working out. Cast out that impure spirit, right? Going to work out. Going to be disciplined. It's fascinating to me. Once the spirit leaves, the house is swept clean, put in order. Isn't that a good thing? Looks perfect. The lights are on. But nobody's home, folks. Nobody's home. There's nothing there. Looks good, but it's empty. I think this is the problem with, with all self-help efforts. Self-help is a good thing, and, and, and our efforts are good as well. But, but it doesn't, in and of ourselves, it doesn't lead most of the time, to success. In and of themselves, all of our self-help efforts are destined to break down and fail. I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to stop the drug addiction. I'm going to quit lusting. I'm going to stop flirting with that man or that woman. No more trolling the websites. All of those efforts in and of themselves really are ultimately doomed to failure. They just sort of run out of energy. You can sweep it clean but there's nothing of substance there. We have a ministry that I love at Summit called Regroup. And uh, men and women come together dealing with, with issues that have, have tripped them up uh, in, a, in a rather significant way. And, and uh, the program is modeled after, after a 12-step program uh, like Alcoholics Anonymous or, or, or uh, 
uh, any of those those 12-step programs. And, and if you've read the 12 steps, I'd, I'd recommend sometime you just go back and read those 12 steps because they're really a marvelous way of, of leading to something more substantive in terms of dealing with things that, that trip us up. And when AA started in, in England, a group of men got together who had, had just chronic problems with alcohol, and yet they had a, a religious faith. They, they, they began to write down these steps. And the first step was this. We admitted that we were powerless over our alcohol. We didn't have the power to do it. Desire was there, but not the power. And then the second thing is we came to believe a power greater than ourselves was necessary to come in and take us to the place where we needed to go. There's an emptiness here in terms of this, hey, we're doing this, we're going to do it on our own, we're going we're, we're to make sure that these things are, 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 are leaving us. But there's an emptiness there. Nobody home. So there's an eviction. There's emptiness, then Jesus goes on. 45, then it goes, the spirit goes and takes with it seven other spirits. More wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. And that's how it will be with this wicked generation. House is clean. There, 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 there's an eviction, there's emptiness. Now there's an implosion. All these spirits come back. It's clean, but it's empty. What does it mean this house is empty? What does it mean our lives are empty? It, it means that what should be present is not there. There's no life there. This house is not a home. A few summers ago, we did a study on the book of Ephesians. And, and at the end of Ephesians chapter 3, Paul has this wonderful prayer that he prays for, for the church at Ephesus. And one of the things he prays specifically is, is, I pray that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. That Jesus would come there and live. He would dwell, not just be an occasional visitor, but he would take up residence. He would dwell there. If our lives are not a dwelling place for the Lord, then things can really break down. The impure spirits will come back. And they'll come back in multiples. Uh, physicists tell us that nature abhors a vacuum. There's nothing there. there. There are things that will come into it. So I, I read this parable past times. I, I'd always picture in my mind these, these, these demons coming back, these, these shrieking, horrible demons coming back. And, and uh, I think... I think I, I sort of misrepresented uh, what Jesus was, was trying to communicate. These impure spirits aren't like something out of a Stephen King novel. They're, 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 they're more subtle than that. See, if I'm trying to get my life in order, but I'm not, I'm not making Christ a priority, then these impure spirits can, 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 can just start showing up. The, the, the impure spirit of sloth can just sort of find his way in, into the home of my life and just sort of sit on my couch and says, well, well, I'm here. And then the impure spirit of procrastination is not far behind. Well, I don't feel like doing it. I, I, I'll, I'll do it at another time. Then the impure spirit of gossip many times comes in. This, this comparison. That's, gossip is a comparison sin. I'm not really as bad as that. 
it's really easy to start talking about other people because I, you know, I feel better when, when I know other people are not as not not uh, in a place where I'm at. And then the impure spirit of lust just sort of shows up late at night. The impure spirit of bitterness, unresolved conflicts, settles in some dark corner of that house. The impure spirit of depression. The impure spirit of fear. These aren't shrieking horrible things. They're just things that show up and weigh me down. Because my house is empty. Might look good, but it's empty. Nothing more annoying and disturbing than a religious hypocrite. I was watching a, a, a show, a, t- a TV uh, a drama. It's a detective police drama. I love, love police dramas. And this, was, this one took place in Wales. And uh, I always like dramas on, on, in different countries. You see how police solve crimes. And uh, this one episode, uh, the, this police force is trying to solve a, a crime of death of a pastor in that area. And uh, uh, they were confounded and, and trying to figure out, okay, why, you know, why is this man... Uh, been slain, and and uh, as the story unfolds, you find out that this pastor, even though he professed to be a certain way, was really not a very good person at all. He was an adulterer. He was an abuser. And and uh, when the, when the show starts, I go, here they are picking on the Christians again. I just you know I don't like it. But then I'm thinking, oh man, I don't you know this man was portrayed. I don't like that. I don't like a religious hypocrite. And then as I'm doing this passage, I'm realizing, oh, oh. Oh, a lot of times that religious hypocrite is me. Because I like to sweep it clean. I like to sweep, just make sure it looks good. Set everything straight. Sometimes there's no substance there. I want to look good. I want a sign, right? God, I'm doing all these things for you. I'm trying to clean this up. I want a sign. Now, Jesus is the one who needs to be there. He's the one that needs to clean things up. So, um, my Y workouts lasted around four months. That's how long I made it. And then I just didn't go back. I can show you in the garage where my gym bag still sits. The lock still hangs, <coughs> lonely from the handle, um, I just didn't, I didn't have the motivation. Just couldn't do it. Didn't think I could. So I figured out, this is a 68-year-old man. Here's what I need to be truly physically fit. I've, this is, you'll be glad you came because here it is. You ready? You, you want, the, you want the, this is how you can do it, I'm telling you. Here's what I need and see if you can identify. I need a loving and gracious trainer. Loving, gracious Someone who's been through all the struggles I've been through, but's been successful, living out what it means to be in perfect physical shape. I need someone who is consistently encouraging me to improve, but not a yeller. I don't want a yeller. I want someone yelling at me. Give me another rip. No, I don't want that. I need someone who doesn't judge me for being way out of shape. That would help. 
I need someone who'll come to my house. That, that makes sense, doesn't it to you? Instead of me going somewhere, come to me. Come to my house and, and at any time that I, I deem best on my schedule. And someone who will provide me with all the equipment I need to work out. I don't want to have to come up with my own equipment. You bring it in, and that will be just great. I need someone that will come every day and be available at any time. I need someone who will knock on my door and not be offended if I don't answer, if I don't feel like working out. No offense. Or if I answer and don't want to train, no problem. And... I need this person to do it free of charge. Is that too much to ask? The world has a right to be upset about people who don't follow through on what they believe Jesus was. But this just isn't a parable for Jesus' day. As I was thinking about, okay, what does it say to me? Here's what it says to me. I can really try to be better but I've, if that's my lead foot, that's not where it should go. God doesn't want a continual self-improvement project. He wants a relationship with me. He wants a relationship with you. Revelation 3.20. Jesus speaking to the church of Laodicea. The church of Laodicea, one of the seven churches written to in the book of Revelation, it's the lukewarm church. It's the church that, you know, we're just sort of going along to get along. We're, we're, we're not being persecuted that much. We're just, we're just in here and it's okay. And, and Jesus says, look, behold, I stand at the door and knock the door of your lives. If you will open that door, I will come in and I will have fellowship with you. And you with me. It's a perpetual asking for relationship. Here's what I need, this parable teaches me. Here's what I need to be truly spiritually fit. I need a loving and gracious Redeemer. I need a Redeemer who has been through all the struggles I have been through but it's been successful in living them out in perfect, sinless perfection. I need someone who is consistently encouraging me, but not a yeller. I need someone who doesn't judge me for being the way I am and my spiritual failures. I need someone to come to me at any time, any time, and provide me with all the power that I need to live the kind of life that I want to live. I need someone that will come every day. <laughs> and someone be available at any time. I need someone who will knock on my door. Not be offended if I don't answer. Or if I say, I, it's... I can't do this now. And I need this person to do it free of charge. We have a Redeemer. We have a Redeemer. We Christians are called to a relationship that will last for eternity. A relationship. 
We're not called to be eternal cleaner uppers. How's your relationship with Jesus? Does he dwell in your heart? Do you have a model home? Do you have a real home? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this challenge and encouragement in this parable. I pray for myself and pray for every man and woman here. Pray that as we evaluate our walk and our relationship with you, that we would make sure that our lives are a dwelling place. I pray, Lord, that whatever is blocking that, whatever whatever's hindering that next step toward deepening that relationship with you, that you would allow us to confront that and through your spirit give us the power to move beyond it. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the fact that he is our eternal and loving and gracious redeemer. And we pray this in his name. Amen.